Sunday, we look forward to seeing you back here in the building, and, uh, and we love you all, and we look forward to being able to worship together once again. I hope that in your home you have your family gathered and, and that you have your Bible close and you're ready to worship the Lord as if we were together. I'd like to direct your attention to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then I'm going to read a, a lengthy portion of scripture from John chapter 1, verse 1 through 13. I want to set the stage for this sermon uh, with these two texts. So turn with me there if you would, and we'll begin in Genesis 1. It says this, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God divided the light from the darkness. In fact, that's my, my sermon title today, God Divided Light from the Darkness. And then I'll take you to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 13, a powerful portion of Scripture. You're probably familiar with at least the first few verses here. The writer said this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I'd like to pray over this text and pray over you and your home that God would help us to receive this word today and that he'd minister to us even in this live stream. Lord, we love you today. Thank you, God, for bringing us together virtually and for those that are here in the building working so that others could hear this sermon today and, and grow in the word. I pray that your word, which is already anointed, would speak to our hearts and minister to us. I pray that you would help us to grow in your spirit. I pray that you'd help us to grow in faith. I pray that you'd help us to grow in righteousness. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, in Jesus' name. I read many years ago a, a story, what is actually a, a common scenario where an atheist university professor challenged his students with a question. This is not uncommon. I experienced this myself in secular university where an atheist 
professor tried to intimidate the class that I was in. And in this particular story, a university professor asked this question, does evil exist? That's question number one. And then question number two is very important. He asked, did God create everything that exists? Now, of course, the answer to both of these questions, because this really was a two-part question, is yes, evil does exist. We know that evil exists. And if we believe, truly believe the Word of God, we read it just now in, in Genesis chapter 1, and then in the Gospel of John, it reiterates the message of Genesis chapter 1, that God created everything. And so we know that God did create everything that exists. And so one student in the classroom raised his hand and said, yes, yes, God did. And so the professor answered, if God created everything, then God created evil since evil exists. And according to the principle that our works define who we are, then God is evil. It's like the cold that comes when there's no heat or the darkness that comes when there's no light. And the professor kind of stepped back feeling that he had made his point. And, and the student paused for a moment and then he responded with his own question. He said, does cold exist? Cold is the absence of heat. The student said, does darkness exist? Because scientifically, we know that darkness is simply the absence of light. The student said this, does evil exist? Because evil is simply the absence of God. And so today, I would like to challenge you with this thought. If Jesus, as Jesus claimed, is the light, then spiritual darkness and evil is the absence of Jesus. Everything that's wrong with our world, everything that's wrong in life, everything that's dark and evil and painful, everything that's full of hate, everything that's full of sin, is simply the absence of God. We know that in the beginning, the earth was without form and void and darkness or nothingness was upon the face of of the deep. In other words, there was infinite nothingness. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he divided the light from the darkness. At creation, God created light. God didn't create the darkness because darkness is the absence of light. By creating light, God separated the darkness because light always drives the darkness away. God spoke physical light into existence and gave his creation exclusive access to his presence. Adam and Eve lived in physical and spiritual paradise, but because of their disobedience and because of their rebellion against God, Spiritual darkness and physical pain descended upon the human condition. Remember, 
God is holy and God will not mingle unrighteousness and God will not mingle his holiness with darkness. And so darkness prevailed upon the earth. The absence of godliness introduced a vacuum into the world of what we call evil. This was Satan's design from the very beginning when he tempted Eve and then Eve tempted Adam. Satan knew that he could create a vacuum where evil would be able to flood into the world. When God's manifest presence was, was lifted and God was no longer completely present in every aspect because his righteousness had to be separated from unrighteousness, now the capability for evil and unrighteousness and sin entered into the world. The law of Moses in the Old Testament gave mankind a glimpse of God's expectations, but it was only a glimmer of light in the darkness. It was just a, a temporary covenant that was never intended to be the actual cure for the sin condition. But there was a spiritual light coming and it was pointed to all throughout the Old Testament and all of the hundreds of prophecies that pointed to the light, the Messiah that was going to come, that this light would transform the world. And the Gospel of John connects the light spoken into existence at creation and links it to Jesus. The creator of light is also the giver of the light of truth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. First, we should notice that John is clearly claiming that Jesus is the same God that spoke the world into existence. There is no such thing as a father who is separated from Jesus or a spirit that is separated from Jesus. When you speak the name of Jesus, you are calling on the God that flung the stars into space and poured the oceans out and formed the mountains with his own voice. He is the creator. He is the sustainer and Jesus who is God manifest in the flesh is and was the light of the world. Jesus is the only hope. God's truth is not one of many truths that would make truth untrue. Truth by definition means that it is exclusive. We live in a world that does not believe that truth is exclusive. We live in a society that believes that truth can, can be redefined and reiterated and that it can be true on different levels. But truth is just what it is. It's just truth. If there's all kinds of contradicting truths, then there is no truth at all. No, God's truth is the only truth. Everything else is darkness. Everything else is nothingness. 
Everything else leads to emptiness. Everything else leads to hopelessness. Everything else leads to constant confusion. And I submit to you that we see this confusion operating in our world today. In spite of the fact that we live in perhaps the most technologically advanced age in the history of the universe and people have more access to information at the tips of their fingers than humanity has ever had, there is still more disinformation, more untruth, and more confusion in our world than there has ever been. Why? Because people are looking for information that is not the information they need. What they need to do is turn to the light of the world, the creator of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will give them the answer they're looking for. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness or confusion or untruth, but shall have the light of life. The Apostle Paul said, for though there be many that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things. There's only one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. Now let me just pause and ask you, how can he be in us all? I'll tell you how he's in us. He fills us with his spirit. It's evidenced first by speaking in other tongues, but that's just the beginning. The evidence of the infilling of God's Spirit continues through the, the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, righteousness that grows in our life. The, the proof of the infilling of the Spirit is that we have power in the Spirit. That we walk in the Spirit. That we love the things of the Spirit. That we are witnesses of the Gospel. That we are testifiers of the goodness of God. We walk in the light because Jesus is the light. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to salvation. If you're feeling empty today, it's an absence of light. If you're feeling lonely today, it's the absence of light. If you're feeling lost today, it's the absence of light. If you're feeling nothingness today, that's the void, much like the void that Genesis speaks of, where the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep. It was just, it was just infinite space with nothing filling it. And, and that's how some people feel right now in their spirit. I'm describing depression to you. I'm describing anxiety to you. I'm describing hopelessness to you, where you feel as if life is just one big empty thing but that is really just the absence of light if you're feeling powerless it's the absence of Jesus if there's a, an empty spot in your heart then let me just say and prophesy to you let there be light flood into your spirit let the light of God flood into your soul and change you now let me tell you that light light is powerful truth 
is powerful. It will change you. It will rearrange you. It can, it can take someone who is completely bound by addiction and turn them into someone who is powerful in God. It can take a life that others have deemed to be worthless. Remember, Jesus, when he came to the world, he didn't, he didn't go and find scholars. He didn't find movie stars. He didn't find religious leaders. He didn't look for powerful politicians. No, Jesus was just walking along the seashore and he found some lowly fishermen, Peter, James, and John. They were just hardworking, blue-collar men who really didn't have much education. We know that because in the book of Acts, when Peter started preaching, the crowd gathered round and they looked at one another and they said, this guy is ignorant and unlearned. What they were really saying is, we can tell he does not have a good education. He, he doesn't come from a background of, of high intelligence. He doesn't come from a pedigree that shows in his vernacular. No, this was just an ordinary, humble, hardworking man who had been changed by the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And light is a powerful thing. But I want to warn you because some people don't understand this. Light or truth hurts before it heals. It hurts before it heals. Have you ever been have you ever been in a dark room? Maybe you were asleep or taking a nap or something like that and the room was completely dark. The windows were covered, which is the best way to sleep by the way. You want to have the room completely dark. And and suddenly someone came in the room and they turned on the lights very, very quickly. If you can think back to that moment, it hurts your eyes. Light, when you've not, when you've not been in the light for an extended period of time, light will startle you. It will it'll even cause a burning sensation in your eyes. That's what light will do in the physical. But in the spiritual realm, light hurts before it heals. Let me give you an example. Uh, Saul, who was the great persecutor of the Christians in the book of Acts, who, of course, we know later his name was changed to Paul, and he wrote the vast majority of the New Testament, the great preacher and missionary of the New Testament. Saul was on his way to Damascus. He was on the road to Damascus to persecute the Christians. He had papers in his hands that gave him authority to, to imprison, to beat, to kill Christians. And this was his intent. When suddenly as he was traveling, the Bible says a great light shined all around him and upon him. And the light was so bright and so powerful. Now, I want to submit to you, this was not just a physical light. I believe it was a physical light. But it was also a spiritual light. And God, Jesus, literally spoke to him in this light and said, Paul, why, why persecutest thou me? Why do you kick against the pricks? And when this light hit him and when truth began to invade his mind and when God began to, to do a work in Saul's life, the light blinded Saul. The light of course, we think of light as being a good thing. Truth is a good thing. But sometimes when we first receive truth, 
it hurts before it heals us. Saul was so deep in sin, he was so wicked that that God had to do a drastic surgery in his life. God had to do something dramatic to get Saul's attention. And God said, I want you to go to Damascus. There's a man, a prophet there by the name of Ananias. I want you to go and wait for him. And when Ananias comes to you, I want you to do exactly what he tells you to do. This took faith. And sometimes this is hard because we want truth to change us without any pain. We want God to give us victory without going through any pain at all. But sometimes the truth will cause us to be frustrated and to walk in darkness and to walk by faith before we can receive the fullness of God's revelation. And so Saul had to wait on Ananias and Ananias finally came to him and prayed for him and said, let me lay my hands on you. And so he did. And when he laid his hands on Saul, immediately the scales fell from his eyes. We don't even know what that means, but God must have put some kind of scale over his eyes. And when the man of God prayed for him, they fell off and he received the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. And he arose and the Bible says that immediately he went to be baptized. He realized that I have been walking in darkness, but now I need to be obedient to God completely, even when I don't understand. Saul didn't understand why he needed the Holy Ghost at that point. He didn't understand why he needed to be baptized. He didn't understand why there were scales on his eyes. He just had the revelation that God is bigger than my darkness. God is bigger than my plans. God is bigger than what I used to believe and what I used to think. And now I need to be obedient to God. This is very important because oftentimes when God comes to us and says, listen, you need to rearrange your life. Did you know that that homosexuals can be saved? But the only way a homosexual can be saved is to recognize that God is calling you out of sin and calling you out of perversion. Did you know that murderers can be saved? Yes, they can. Drug dealers can be saved. Drug addicts can be saved. People who have persecuted the things of God can be saved, but it's going to take some hurt before you get to the light because God will call you out of darkness first. God is always going to divide the light from the darkness. And until you're willing to say, Lord, whatever it is you need to change, whatever it is you need to do, whatever it is you need to take from me or add to me, God, I'm willing, I'm willing so that I can walk in the light that you're providing. Let me take you to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says this, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. There was a fiery light that filled the room where they were praying. And that fiery light sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit 
gave them the utterance. I heard this phrase just yesterday for the very first time. They were fire talkers. I think that's awesome. They were fire talkers. They were, they were filled with tongues of fire. And they spoke in unknown languages as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. What an amazing thing. The light flooded that room where there was darkness. And God changed those people. He rearranged them from the inside out. Today, if you want the light of God in your life, it's going to take the fire of the Holy Ghost filling you. And as the Holy Spirit fills you, the fire of God, which is a consuming fire, will begin to purge you of all impurities. You've got to let God do this. It hurts sometimes. When the Holy Ghost floods your life, it's going to, it's going to to burn out thoughts that are impure. It's going to burn out ways of thinking that are not godly. Things that you used to think about, God wants to purge those from your life. He's going to divide the light from the darkness. Things that you used to do that seemed right to you, suddenly the Spirit of God is going to reveal to you. It's going to be like a, a light switch was turned on, and you're going to realize, I, I shouldn't live that way any longer. I should, I should turn from addiction. I should turn from dressing immodestly. I, I shouldn't curse any longer. I, I shouldn't be around environments that are wicked and ungodly and carnal and that lead to selfish, hateful things. God will purge you from those things and he'll begin to remove things from your life that you used to love. And at first it hurts a little bit because it feels like you're losing all of the familiar things. But, but that's a good thing because if we're familiar with things that are not like God, then we need God to change our nature. And thankfully that's exactly what the Bible says God will do. He takes out our old stony heart of flesh. He takes out the, the heart, the nature that we were born with. Remember, we were all born into sin. David said, I, in my mother's womb, I was shapen in iniquity. Literally, because my mother was sinful and because my mother was born into sin, I had sin imparted to me while I was being formed in my own mother's womb. That's how sinful sin is. But God, when we're filled with his spirit, he takes out that old carnal nature that we were born with and he replaces it with a spiritual nature. He gives us a tender, what the scripture says is a, a soft heart of flesh. Now, now, because God has given us a, a, a soft spiritual heart, we're able to feel God in ways that we could not feel God before. We're able to hear the voice of God in ways that we were not able to hear the voice of God. We're able to read the word of God with revelation, understanding and illumination in ways that we could not do before we had the spirit of God, the fire of God purging us from things that are not like him, that are not right. And so we have to make a decision that we are going to walk in the light. This is what Jesus meant when he said to walk in the light as I am in the light. This is very much what David meant when he said, Lord, be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 
Lord, illuminate my way. What this means is as as Christians, as apostolics, Pentecostals who have received the spirit. We crucify our flesh daily. This is what this is what we're called to do. This isn't easy to do. And we can only crucify our flesh daily with the help of the Holy Ghost. We can only we can only crucify our old nature daily by allowing the light of the gospel to push back against our own nature that constantly tries to push its way to the forefront. Our, our carnal nature is going to try to take control all the way until we get to heaven, all the way till we make it to heaven. You, you really haven't won the battle until you hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Every day we make a decision. I'm going to be more like God. I'm going to walk more in the light than I ever have before. And let me close by reading Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through 38. This was, this is after the light had come, the, the fiery tongues and, and the Holy Ghost had been poured out. Peter began to speak to them and he said this, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. In other words, Peter was saying, you killed the promised Messiah, the one that you'd been waiting for. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. Remember, light hurts before it heals. They were pricked in their hearts. In other words, they were convicted. They realized they were sinners. They realized they'd made mistakes. They realized they'd been wrong. They tried to do it with their own thinking, with their own intelligence, with their own philosophies and dogmas and religions. But it wasn't enough. And so conviction flooded their heart. This is good. It hurts, but it's good for us. And so Peter, they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? This is the only place in all of your Bible where people very clearly ask the question, what do we need to do to be saved? This is the only instance when you read the book of Romans, when you read 1st and 2nd Corinthians, a lot of my good Baptist friends will take you to Romans to try to show you the plan of salvation. This doesn't work because Romans was not written to unsaved people. The book of Romans was written to the church in Rome, to people who were already saved, people who had already been obedient to the gospel. The book of Acts chapter 2 is the only place where people who are not saved at all, they are not in the church at all, they ask the one who had been given the keys to the kingdom, the apostle Peter, and they said, what must we do? The light had been turned on. The light was hurting their hearts. And now they wanted more of the light so they could heal the hurt that it was creating. And Peter said to them in verse 38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Here's how you deal with the problem. This is what Peter was saying. Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall 
receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You can have the same fiery promise that we just received. You can receive the Holy Ghost and fire just like John the Baptist prophesied would happen. You can have it in your life. And when that Holy Spirit begins to work inside of you, it's going to purge you even from the sin of crucifying your own Savior. Wow. We've all crucified Christ with our own sin. Because Jesus didn't just die for the people that were alive at that time. He died fully realizing that you were going to be born someday. He died knowing that you were going to need a Savior. He died knowing that you were not going to be able to overcome sin by yourself. He died knowing that you wouldn't be able to overcome the emptiness of this world and the vain philosophies that this world offers and the hopelessness that this life gives without Jesus. He knows, he knows that you wouldn't be able to do it. And so he died for you and for me. We crucified him with our sin just as much as the people who said, what must we do on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. He loved us enough to die. And the response to our question is the same. When we ask, what do I need to do? The response is the same. Repent and be baptized. Don't just be baptized in any name. Be baptized in the only saving name. The name of Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus Christ. If you're baptized in titles... If you're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, you're not being baptized in the name. You're being baptized in titles. When Jesus said in Matthew chapter 29, go into all the world baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, you have to ask yourself, what is the name of the Father? What is the name of the Son? What is the name of the Holy Ghost? And the scripture tells us over and over again, the name is Jesus. If you're baptized in any other name or in any other title, it is not for your salvation. You need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. For example, I use this illustration often, and it's so simple, but it's so true. Uh, I'm, I'm a lot of things. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a preacher. I'm a whole lot of things. I'm a human being. But my name is Ryan. And so if I want to do something legally, if I want to sign a legal document, I have to sign and seal it with my name. I couldn't go to the bank today and withdraw money and just write on the, uh, the slip and say, uh, I'm son, father, and human. No, because those are titles. I am all of those things, but my name is Ryan. God was manifest in the flesh. The Messiah came and God named him. By the way, remember, it was, it was the angel that said to Mary, and thou shalt name him Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. What an amazing thing. God gave us the name. He revealed the name to us. And it's the only saving name. So we repent of all of our sins. We realize the light comes on and it hurts. That's what repentance is. The light, we realize we're sinful. 
Maybe we didn't know it, but all of a sudden it's revealed to us. I'm sinful. I'm not right. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not right with God. I thought I was, but I'm not. The light comes on and we respond to that pain with repentance. That's why often repentance is done with tears and with great sorrow. But then we move from repentance to water baptism in the name of Jesus. And we're promised that if we're obedient in those first two things, that God is faithful and he will fill us with his spirit. And that light that was revealed to us now comes inside of us. And the light changes us from the inside out. I don't want just the light shining around me. I want the light of God inside of me, radiating from me. That's what God calls Christians to be. We are, we are simply people who have been filled with his light, who've been changed by his light. And then we're called to project that light, to be a light shining in the darkness. That's why Jesus said that it's like a city. The church is like a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid. I just noticed that recently where it says that it cannot be hid. Sometimes we think of it as if, you know, we quote that scripture and we say, make sure you let your light shine. But if you're really serving God and you have the Holy Ghost, you can't hide if you want to hide. The true church of God can't hide if it wants to, because as the world grows darker and it is growing darker, the church is brighter and brighter. There's nothing we can do about it, because when we live like Jesus, we're going to be so countercultural and so different from the world that our light just pierces the darkness. And for those that are willing to receive the light, they'll be changed by it and filled with it as well. That's my prayer for you today. If you're, if you're hearing this sermon and you have the Holy Ghost, I want to pray for you right now that God would help you to be a light, a beacon in this world that would draw people who are hurting to the light of the gospel. If you're hearing this sermon today and you have never received the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues, I want you to know that God can fill you with the Holy Ghost right where you are. You don't have to be in this building. You don't have to be near me. I don't have to lay my hands on you. All you have to do is repent of your sins. You cannot receive the Holy Ghost unless you repent of your sins. But if you recognize, hey, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. I need God to change me. And you say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. God will forgive you and he will fill you with his spirit. That's my prayer for you today, that you would have more than just the light of God around you, but you would have the light inside of you. Dividing the darkness out of your spirit and out of your life. Let me pray that for you right now. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now for everyone who is hearing my voice right now. If they have the Holy Ghost, I pray that they would be refreshed and renewed and refilled with your spirit. God, that they would be a bright light everywhere they go at work at the store, when they're, when they're just going through their day, I pray that the light of your spirit would shine brightly through them and that hungry people who are looking for truth would be drawn to them. Help us to be witnesses and testifiers 
that we could reach people and change them and help them with the gospel. Lord, I pray for someone right now who has never received the Holy Ghost. And right now the light is just being turned on and they're realizing for the first time, I need the spirit inside of me. I need it to be evident speaking in other tongues, just like it was in every instance of the New Testament. I pray right now, God, that you would fill them with the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. Lord, in their homes, in their cars, at work, Lord, wherever they are, I pray the Holy Ghost would fall on them right now in the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, for our nation. I pray for our churches. I pray for our world that you would pour out in these last and final days that you would pour out the Holy Ghost as never before. I pray that the latter rain outpouring of the Holy Ghost would be far greater than the former rain outpouring of the Holy Ghost. God, we need an end time revival. I'm asking you to have mercy on this country, to have mercy on this world, and give us a final great apostolic revival. And Lord, we ask it humbly in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.